And I didn't get that. Uh, I figured we would do it this way, and uh, it, it hopefully it'll be uh, a help to you uh, to be able to get the notes down uh, a little bit better. I'm not going liberal by posting my notes <laughs> up on there. I know some people think that may be a liberal thing. Um, there's nothing uh, liberal about technology. It's just helpful in this situation, okay? So uh, bear with us on it. And I'm not used to doing this, so if we have a couple glitches along the way, bear with us. Um, We've spent a couple weeks dealing with uh, having a vision and what we do before we go with preparing ourselves. And uh, then we spent a a lesson on just some practical things, things, and and we're not through with those. We're going to have another lesson or two yet uh, as we go through this material, um, get through the end of this material. We'll have another lesson or two on um, some etiquette and some things you do and don't do uh, when you go to the door. And, uh, and then, Lord willing, each Wednesday night for the next several Wednesday nights, we will um, break off into uh, groups um, and, or, you know, pair off into teams and present, uh, try to do our best to present the plan of salvation to somebody. So um, if you will take your Bibles tonight. And uh, keep them handy because we're going to look at a lot of things. And look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. And um, we're going to launch with this. The material we're giving you tonight and next week, um, not all of it is is my material. In fact, uh, some of these notes came from another fellow. And I'll have to give you his name because actually I've got it written down here, I think. Robert uh, Breaker, uh, if you... Uh, have a chance. He's got a great presentation, and he'll have a lot of the same material that I'll use on some of this. Um, it was just a tr- tremendous source that he had uh, for some of these things, and I thought, well, why reinvent the wheel here? We'll just teach some of this, and uh, it was very, very well put together and well thought out, and, and really bears my heart when it comes to the things of soul winning and what I believe is on the heart of God when we go soul winning. Uh, look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter number 30, and uh, We'll begin, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, did I say 30? Acts chapter 8 and verse number 30. And we find here the story of um, uh, Philip as he goes, um, did I get the right thing? I've got the wrong thing. Do I have, no, I do. My page is stuck together, that's why I'm like, where in the world is this at? There we go. All right, and I used a different Bible than I studied from. All right, so um, let's take uh, Acts chapter 8, and let's. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, Let's go back to verse number 26, and we're going to work our way down to verse number 30. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which uh, is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem uh, for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? That's a very, very important statement. Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should, what's the next word here? Guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, uh, this of himself or of some other man. Now notice what it says here, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began, notice this, at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. Father, as we come to you and ask for your help and your blessing as we teach this lesson, Lord, it's been on my heart for a couple of weeks now, and I pray that you would lend your Holy Spirit's guidance, help us to get the material across in a way that you would want it to be that would be Christ-honoring, and Father, what we would believe to be the scriptural way that you would have us to go about showing and guiding and leading men and women to you. I pray that you would help us and, Lord, empower us as we learn these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a statement that is used here in the book of Acts. We, we use the phrase many times, how to lead 
a soul to Christ. But uh, there's, uh, there's a benefit sometimes in using biblical terms, isn't there? Uh, and would it be more accurate, I wonder often, if it would be how to, lead, or how to guide a soul to Christ? And again, taking Scripture, and notice that Philip doesn't come up with methods, he doesn't come up with philosophy, he doesn't uh, have a whole lot of illustrations under his belt, he doesn't have a lot of stories. He just begins to share Scripture with this man and helps him and guides him in understanding those Scriptures. We, uh, for many years, have taught a very simple plan of salvation. And by the way, can I say this, God's plan of salvation is simple but it still needs to be understood by people who don't understand Christian terms. A lot of us have been raised in church or been in church a long period of time, and we get accustomed and used to using phrases and terminologies that to us are very, very familiar, and to other people may or may not be very familiar. And, uh, but uh, I remember sitting in soul-winning clinics and seminars as I was going through Bible college and things that would bother me about them. Uh, things that kind of um, were, were a little bit of an issue with me. And I, I would go, I've been to some around the country, and uh, they, they all uh, tend to focus on the Romans Road. And, and I want to give a disclaimer here. I am not anti the Romans Road, okay? Uh, it's a great foundation. It's a great starting point. The problem, I think, sometimes is that the Romans Road, if it's not done well, and if we don't add some things in other scriptures to help support and to bring some things out in it, sometimes it's not quite enough to get the person to the point of understanding that they need to have when it comes to this thing of uh, knowing uh, Christ as their Savior and putting their faith and trust in Him. John R. Rice actually said this, and see, here's, here's what typically happens uh, at a door. Uh, we knock on the door, we introduce ourselves, and we've got it in our minds. Okay, we're going to start with Romans 3.10 or maybe Romans 3.23, depending on which one you want to use. And, uh, okay, we're going to use this verse. And so we converse for a minute or two and tell them what a nice house they have. And, uh, boy, the dog that's sitting here or the cat, uh, hopefully not a cat, but uh, the dog that's sitting there. Um, and uh, sorry about that. I don't like cats. Uh, as Pastor Randy used to say, of course, it does depend on how they've been cooked. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Scratch that one off the videotape. Anyway, uh but um, we carry on a, a polite conversation. And as the Lord allows. Now notice that when Philip uh, went to the Ethiopian eunuch, he was led there by the Holy Spirit. When he gets there, he asks the, Holy, uh, the eunuch uh, what, what, the, uh, what he's reading. I understand it's not what thou readest. And then he begins to impart scripture to him. Uh, Brother uh, Harold brought a, a good passage to, th to thought, and let's just read it real quick before I go much further. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 10, and Brother Harold, I even have a thought further than, than that on this as well. Um, and uh, let's start in verse number 16. Jesus speaking here, and he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how, you, how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the, the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you, um, and it goes on and talks about some other things there. But gives the idea that the Holy Spirit is the main driving force of the conversation. That we are to be sensitive to His leading. There are times that, and I've sat in the, the soul winning uh, seminars and training times, when they tell you, don't take no for an answer. Uh, you know, you, you get the foot in the door, you, you ask these questions, you get them to shake their head, uh, you get them to say yes ten times, and then they're going to say yes to everything. And those are sales gimmicks, those are psychological tricks. But can I tell you this, there is no trusting and understanding, and there's no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of those presentations many, many times. Several years ago, we had uh, a soul-winning uh, uh, marathon take place at, a church, at our church in Florida. We had a, a, a whole host of uh, college students come down, and in the weekend, their goal was 
Uh, I believe the, I believe the number was they were trying to win three thousand people to Christ in three days, and they had I think three or four hundred people out knocking on doors for uh, early morning till late into the evening time, for uh, Thursday, uh, Wednesday or uh, a little bit on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and even on Sunday afternoon. And so uh, by the end of the time that they were there, uh, they had met their goal, whatever the goal was. I'm wanting to think it was three thousand, but it may have been less than that. It may have been sixteen hundred or somewhere around there. But it was some unbelievable number of people to be saved. And when they were done, they left our church with a large stack of follow-up cards and uh, for us to go. And, and you certainly when you win someone to Christ, you don't want to just leave them there. You want to follow up on them. And so uh, we uh, got a bunch of them. Another couple churches in town got a big chunk of them as well uh, to follow up on. And so the following Monday night, I took a bunch of teenagers out, and we were going to visit. I had about uh, 150 or 200 teenagers uh, decision cards where they had trusted Christ as their Savior. And um, I, I went to go knock on their doors, and the ones that we were able to talk to, we introduced ourselves, hello, we're from Faith Baptist Church uh, down in Florida, and uh, said uh, we're here to follow up on a decision that you made last weekend, or sometimes it may have been two or three weeks later before we got to them. More times than not, they did not remember what we were talking about. And can I just say this, no understanding, a quick prayer did not save them. We, we, we have this focus, this, this hard-driving focus, and, and I'm not against the sinner's prayer, don't get me wrong on this either, but it seems like most soul-winning presentations are driving and focusing on getting to that prayer, getting to that prayer, getting to that prayer, getting them to pray and trust Christ as their Savior. And can I say this? Uh, the prayer will never save them. The prayer is an outward expression of what's taken place on the inside. John R. Rice said this, and John R. Rice was probably one of the, the great people that started uh, personal soul winning, uh, a revival of it in our fundamental churches. He made this statement. He said, the Bible does not say that a sinner must pray to be saved. In fact, immediately following Romans ten thirteen, we find an explanation which shows that calling on God is an evidence of faith in the heart. And it is really faith that settles the matter. No matter how long he prays, if he does not have faith, he can never be saved. If he is saved already, there is only one plan of salvation and one step a sinner must make to secure it. And that step is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that the, the uh, prayer, and I've, I've talked with folks about this before, if you're in a service and a, a lost person is under conviction of the Holy Spirit to be saved, and they understand salvation and putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk in detail about that. Uh, and they decide we're going to get saved, and they step out of their pew at the invitation time. And as they're walking down here, they have a heart attack right there in the middle of the aisle. The decision to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ happened the moment they moved from their chair, before they ever make it down here. The praying, then, is something that they do outwardly. We're going to look at that in just a little bit, and I'll show that to you from Scripture. Uh, it's one of the things that's not brought out very often. So we, we get in this mindset of going through a, a rather quick plan of salvation. I, I would go so far as to say this. I know there are certain people that folks have talked to before we've gotten there that the Holy Spirit may be working on. Their understanding may be there. And you might be able to win them to the Lord in about a 10 or a 15 minute time period. That might happen. But if you meet someone who does not understand salvation, I don't understand or don't think that you can lead them to Christ and then have a full understanding of what they're doing in less than a good 35 to 40 minutes minimum as we go through Scripture. And I'm not trying to put a time limit on it. I'm just saying they need to know and they need to understand what they're doing. If they don't understand, they're not calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing something that we criticize other people for doing, and that is they're doing a work, saying a prayer, thinking that's what saves them. If you go to a Muslim mosque and you walk through, and the, some, some of them will be very kind to you if they think that they have a chance of converting you to uh, the Muslim faith. And uh, the fellow, this Robert Breaker, uh, shared an, an illustration of him going through and touring uh, this place. And when he got done with it, all the way through the tour, the man that was the great teacher of the mosque 
uh, kept saying, Allah is God, Allah is God, Allah is God. And he said, before uh, we left, as we stood there at the door, the man said, before you leave, would you just say, Allah is God? And he said, no, I'm not going to say that. And he said, just say it. All you got to do is say it. And he said, well, what happens if I say it? He says, well, if you say it, then you're converted to Islam. And, and all that they were requiring was them to say Allah is God, and then they were converted to Islam. I've been studying some things about the Mormons. The only thing required of Mormons uh, that, that they, or one of, the, one of the things, many things that they require of Mormons, is that they have what's called a testimony. And once a month at a, a meeting that they have, the, as the Holy Spirit supposedly leads them, they're supposed to stand up and say, we believe that Joseph Smith is true and the, the church is true and the Book of Mormon is true, and they're supposed to give a verbal confession. And if all we're doing is telling people, you need to just pray this prayer after me, we're doing the same thing. The problem is the Bible teaches that salvation comes by faith. And so we're going to look at that. So we're going to look at this thing of leading a soul to Christ. Now, I want to emphasize the word lead here. And uh, underneath it, you have a couple blanks. And I'm going to use this phrase that was used in Acts chapter number 8 that we looked at a few moments ago to help us to understand this, that this leading of the soul to Christ is really us guiding them through the Scriptures. Why are we guiding them through the Scriptures? What are we trying to present to them? We knock on the door. We are to present to them the what? The Gospel. The Gospel. So we're guiding them through Scriptures for an understanding of the gospel. And so I put on the second line, the idea of guiding them is that we're to be giving them an understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is telling them about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and can I say this, that when it comes to salvation, there are some people who know the story of Christ coming to this earth, dying on a cross, raising from the dead. But as one man that I sat in his living room several years ago for a good amount of time said, when I finally got to the place that he did that to cover your sins and to pay for your sins, he looked at me with wide eyes, 40-some years old, and said, so that's why he came. He knew the gospel. He just didn't know the application of the gospel to his life. What did the gospel mean to him? Why was it there? Why did God come and send his son to die on a cross? and be buried and raised again the third day. He did it so that he could cover our sins. Now, uh, we're going to give you six areas, and you should have those main headings already on your page, I believe. Are they, are they, I don't remember on, did I give you that? Let's see here. Yes, okay, so I'm going to give you six areas, and they're on the front side of your page. Sin, sacrifice, shedding, salvation by faith, sealed, and son. And we're going to deal with some verses of Scripture under each of these. These are steps that we want to take them through so that they can understand what salvation is and what it's all about. They have something a little bit more to grab a hold of here. Um, let's start with uh, the first one. <coughs> Oops. What's going on here? Something's not right. Okay, sin and death. All right, so sin uh, is... Uh, According to Romans chapter number three, or Romans chapter six and verse number uh, ten, and I have death come up there a little bit early. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you these three verses. We pretty well know these, okay? Romans three ten says this: uh, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three: For the uh, for uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the Bible tells us in Romans 6, in verse number 23, that the wages of our sin is death. Now, this is critical. People need to know, and, and Brother Harold and I were talking about this the other day, on our tracks we have very limited space. And so we usually start off with, we're all sinners. We're all in this same boat together kind of thing. And maybe that's not the best approach sometimes because we haven't softened the blow, so to speak. And so you don't walk up to the door, knock on the door, introduce yourself and say, you're a sinner. <laughs> and by the way, I'm too. you need to work your way into the conversation. But one thing that is, must be emphasized is a man must know that he is lost. If he does not know that he is a sinner, 
then he cannot be saved. What's he to be saved from? He must know that he's lost. One of the biggest problems that you're going to face in witnessing to Mormons and a couple other groups is getting them to the point where they realize they're lost. And so we, we can use verses of Romans. We know these, and up until this point, this seems familiar to some of us because we know Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23. We might even know Romans 5.8, Romans 5.12, and uh, Romans 6.23. And feel free, there's notes there. If I give you other references besides what we give you on the PowerPoint, this is not exclusive. This is a, a framework, a nutshell. And what I hope that you'll do is take these six areas... And as you read through Scripture and you find a verse, boy, that would be great to use for that section. Write it down there in that section and work on learning it. Uh, Because you're going to find other Scriptures in a lot of different books of the Bible than Romans. And uh, they will be helpful. Uh, It's interesting to me that when we dealt with Matthew chapter 10 a few moments ago, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was going to give them what to say in that day. Now, to me... Uh, they did not have the written New Testament at that point in time. They, in fact, some of them were still learning the principles of the New Testament. Some of the apostles were. And, um, and so I believe that the Holy Spirit does it two ways. Number one, I think he gives it to us through, through revealed Scripture now. And in the day that we live, we have a lot of what the Holy Spirit already gave to them to say, don't we? We even have word-by-word examples of them telling people about Christ. And so he's already given that to us. And we need to be familiar with it. So that's where we study and learn. But also, as we study and learn, and we hide this stuff in our hearts and we know it, when we're out there soul winning, this is the importance of being led by the Holy Spirit. God will allow the Holy Spirit to help us call to mind the thing that will be most helpful to that person over there. Because, see, here's here's the thing. The person we're talking to, we can't see their heart. But God can He knows their heart. And it's interesting to me. There's been times I've been talking to people, sometimes not even soul winning, just in talking with people about some problems in their life. And and I won't have a verse on my heart or anything. And all of a sudden we'll get to a point in the conversation, I'll think, there's a verse of Scripture right there. And I'll give it to them and it'll help them. Because the Holy Spirit knows that verse. And He knows that that's what's going to help that person's heart at that moment and the things they're going through to understand things better. So Matthew chapter 10 teaches us that, that, that the Holy Spirit has given us some things already in Scripture, but will continue to help bring those things to mind and direct us in what to say. Just as He did them in that day, He will direct us in our day, if we'll let Him. All right, so these, these verses are really good, uh, but uh, we want to go a little bit further than that. So you can use John chapter number 7 uh, and verse number 7. Um, and uh, you can uh, okay uh, let's look at John 7 7 because a lot of people may not be under uh, not know this one or be familiar with it John chapter 7 verse number 7 And the Bible says, The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So it's dealing here with the works of the world, uh, the idea that we're uh, having some things. So there's some people that may not believe that they are lost or that they are sinners. Have you ever, has anybody ever come across anybody that didn't think they were sinners? Have you? Okay. Uh, let's turn to this one you, I don't have in the notes. You'll just have to write down. Look at Second Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And if you have somebody that does not know that, or doesn't think that they are a sinner, uh, we'll take a look at this real quick. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Oh, I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong verse there. Uh, go to 1 John 1 8. We're almost there. I gave you the wrong reference. First John one eight. Okay, first John one eight. Second Timothy four one through five we'll hit in just a few minutes. First John chapter number one and verse number eight. So if somebody says, Okay, 
I don't think I'm a sinner. Let's take a look at this real quick. First John chapter one, verse number eight. Does anybody have it? All right, Miss Sandy, you want to read it real loud for us? Okay, so we can use that. Okay, if somebody says that they're not sinners, we can use that. Let's look at Romans chapter three and verse number four. This is another one you can use. In fact, if you use these in tandem, it is a very good thing. Brother Keith, you want to read that one real loud for us? Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse number 4. And that's not one I have up here on the PowerPoint, so I'll just give that one to you and you can write it down. God forbid, uh, yea, let, uh, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest uh, be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So uh, if God says it, the Bible says here, let God be true, and every man a liar. So if there's a discrepancy between what God says and what that person thinks, which one is the one that's lying? God is true and every other man's a liar. Okay? So again, these are verses that you can use. Now, be careful on how you use them. You don't want to be hateful and say, well, you're lying, brother. Uh, be kind with it. But you can show them these verses of Scripture to help bring them to the point of understanding, hey, I'm lost. Now, look at Revelation chapter 20, verse number 14. This is another one. I don't have a blank there for you, but you can write it down underneath. Revelation chapter 20. So some people will do this. Uh, you get to Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, well, what is death? We all die, right? Is that the death we're talking about here? Separation from God, Okay. How can we show them that from Scripture? What, what is it that we can use for this? I'm going to show you a couple things in our Revelation. And if some of you have another verse that you can think of that, boy, that would really work well for that, poke your hand up. In any of these lessons, poke your hand up. Let's take a look at it, and we'll, we'll add it to our notes. All right? Um, Revelation chapter 20, verse number 14. <clears throat> the Bible says in, in verse number 14, now this is in the last days, but it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the... Second death. A second death? You mean we've got to die twice? Well, those that were unsaved, that had been in hell, uh, are now going to be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. When Romans talks about uh, the wages of sin is death, it goes beyond just separation from God because at some point those that are in hell today will come out of hell for a moment to see God and be judged at the great white throne judgment. And at that point, he will cast them into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Eternity without God in the lake of fire. Uh, and then uh, we'll find over in Revelation chapter number 21. Let me give you that one. It's up here on the screen. Revelation 21 and verse number 8. Again, just referencing this so you can have more than just one verse. <clears throat> but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And up until this point, somebody could say, well, I don't fit in that category. <laughs> but then it says, and all what? Liars. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? We all can fit into that category. Is there anybody here that's never told a lie? <laughs> nobody wants to tell a lie tonight, so nobody's raising their hand. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, all liars. Now, notice what it says here. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. So, again, this is the lake of fire, which is the second death. So, after we get done with Romans chapter 6 and 23, and we're trying to show them that the wages of sin is death, then we can use these verses to help explain that it's beyond just dead and life ceases to exist and we're in the ground for the rest of life. We will spend eternity somewhere. Very important that we know that. Now, this, this is foundational. We've got to have this established before we can go on. They need to know they're lost. They need to know that there is not anything they can do here to salvage this situation. So let's move on now to the area of sacrifice. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15. We're going to look at these verses. 
And folks, I'm not going to go fast. Uh, we're going to take our time. If we have to make two lessons or three lessons out of this, we will. I want us to be familiar with these verses. So if, look with me, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 15. <clears throat> this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to what? Save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So when we tell them the gospel, that Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day, it's important for us to tie. Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to guide them to what? To the Lord Jesus Christ. We're trying to guide them to an understanding of what He did on Calvary. And so we can't just give the, the, the death, burial, resurrection and say, uh, do, do, do you understand what I'm telling you about this? And then walk away. They've got to understand why that took place. We must tie the Lord Jesus Christ to this, to this thing. So we're guiding them. We're helping them to have an understanding that, that Jesus Christ came for the purpose of leading people to Christ, uh, saving people. And um, Paul says, of whom I am chief. All right, let's look at Romans chapter number 5. Again, you'll see a lot of Romans verses, and that's fine. There are a lot of great soul winning verses in Romans. So I'm not against the Romans road. I'm just saying that if we're going to be workmen that need not to be ashamed, if we're going to be well-versed in leading people to Christ, where this is a natural thing for us to do, these are things we need to be well acquainted with. Um, I'll talk to you about some more things in a minute. Uh, Brother Harold, you, you brought that book with you, didn't you, that Bible? Okay. After the service, uh, if you get a chance, take a look at, uh, he brought a, uh, a memory Bible in. And you all take a look at it with us. Uh, we've been discussing about whether it's going to be a help to memorize Scripture with or not. And so it might be a great tool, uh, the way it's laid out and some of the things they've done with it. We want to know this stuff. And here's the thing, folks. If... If it was one of our close family members that we loved and their life depended on us learning something or memorizing something, we would, we would work hard at it. If we had one of our family members, and hopefully they would never do this, if they came down with cancer and a doctor came to us and said, we are right on the verge, we've got all this material we've studied and we just need somebody to kind of put it all together and understand it and memorize it and come tell us about it, we would take that material and we would pour over it day and night because the importance of losing a family member. Can I tell you this? The importance of whether we can lead someone to Christ may hinge on the Scripture that we know. And it's, a, it's not a matter of just convenience or inconvenience. Folks, it's a matter, and we've shared this, and I know we know this. It's a matter of eternity for somebody. You say, Brother Greg, you're over-dramatizing this. No, 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 let's think about this for a minute. If I come up to a fella, and there's a verse of Scripture that is so plain and so clear that would help him, it, just, it, it would do the thing in his mind to help him understand the gospel. And I don't know it. That person could die and go to hell simply because I didn't study that verse. I stood up last Sunday and I've told our church, I'm embarrassed as a pastor and I'm convicted as a pastor that I have not studied more on this stuff. Not so much on the soul winning side because I've studied a lot of verses, but, but how to deal with different peoples of different beliefs. How to, how to take Scripture and show them some things. Folks, we need to be ready, the Bible says, to give an answer to every man. Not just the ones that are easy to witness to. We need to be ready to give an answer to every man. And so we need to be studying these things. So look at Romans chapter number 5 with me real quick. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse number 6 and go down through verse number 8. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love these verses. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. 
But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, tying the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as the reason or the payment for the sin that we all know we have been part of. We are trying to help them to understand. We're trying to help guide them to this connection of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, moving on. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And by the way, there are many, many more verses. And over the next several months, as we deal with specific things, we'll give you a lot more. So keep your notebooks with you. And as you find things in the lessons we'll be teaching, add them to your notes. Keep going back. By the time we're done with this, I'd love it if if y'all had in tiny print all these other references under each of these headings. I think it'd be great. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21. Does somebody have that one? All right, Miss Jennifer, you want to read it real loud? For he hath made him, who's him? Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a verse of Scripture that shares with someone the gift that God is giving to us with salvation. This sacrifice that Christ made. They've got to see it. They need to know it and understand it. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. I don't know about you all, but when I read these verses, I get all excited about my salvation again. That's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? Are you all excited about this? Are you all tired? Everybody tired? I'm excited about this. Look at verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Boy, what a thought. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. By his own self bare our sins. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sacrifice of himself. I'm going to pause here for a minute and we're not going to look at. I, I'm, we're going to look at some scripture, but I'm not going to have it on the PowerPoint here. And I just want to uh, share a few things. In fact, we we may get the third section done here, and then that probably will be it tonight. Um, look, take take a moment to turn to Genesis chapter number four. Can you do that with me for a moment? Genesis chapter number four. And this this is to kind of help us be grounded and uh, know some things. I don't know that you, you you might at some point. I will say this: the fellow who's living room I sat in, I was telling you about a while back, uh, sat there for about an hour, a little over an hour, before he finally was like, "So that's why he came." Um, I had to take him all the way back to this portion of Genesis to show him some things. 
because it just didn't make sense to him. Now, you won't have to do that with every person. And that's why you have to kind of know, what is this person getting this? Is he understanding from Scripture what we're saying? Um, we want them to understand it. And for them to understand it, we need to understand it and understand it well. In fact, it's amazing as we go through soul winning training times, there have been times I've been in sessions, there have been times I've taught some sessions that were not the material that we're going through tonight, that we've had people get saved in the soul winning training time because they were like, boy, I, I didn't know all of that, and they didn't understand salvation. So hopefully this will help us a little bit. Look with me if you'll, <clears throat> in uh, Genesis chapter number 4, and uh, look in verse number 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, I, I do not hold to, and some people do, I do not believe this is speaking of an atoning offering, because it uses the term Offering, not sacrifice. And any time you uh, read the atonement, it deals with a sacrifice. And even though an offering is sacrificial in the giving of it, the Bible says that it came time, in the process of time, that it came to pass that these guys just brought an offering. They brought something to give to the Lord. Um, and, and there's a lot to be said. I could go into a lot of detail on this passage, how that it's interesting that the Bible says that unto Abel and his offering... He had respect, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respected. He, he had respect or not respect for the men before he ever had respect or not respect for their offerings. And it had everything to do with their heart. And, and there's, there's things in that passage that we could look at, and I'm not going to go into all of those details. What I do want you to see from this passage is that we use, again, I, I tell you that we use phrases and, and things that, that are familiar with us. And one of the phrases that sometimes we use is, would you like to accept the Lord as your Savior today? Now, I understand what we mean by that. It could very easily become confusing to somebody that's uh, listening to this. Because we find that the offering was made by Cain and Abel here. Who was responsible to accept that offering? God. He accepted Abel's, didn't he? But he did not accept Cain's. And I know we use the word, do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today? But I don't know that that's a really good word to use. And, and I, just bear with me for a minute. Don't get mad at me for a second, okay? Now, take a minute and turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12. Now, we're... we're the children of Israel are now in captivity. They're getting ready to be released by Pharaoh. They're at the tenth plague. <clears throat> Moses is getting them ready. Um, actually, go to verse number 13. Uh, get the right verse here. I'm trying to shorten this down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, make sure I'm giving you the right thing. Okay, uh, back up verse number two, chapter 12. I'm sorry, I did have the right place. All right, let's look in verse, uh, verse number 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He shall take it out of the sheep, out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood... And strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. They shall, and they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Uh, now, we're not going to go through all of this, but 
He's giving them instructions on the Passover that's getting ready to take place. And this is the first time that Passover is instituted. We find that um, the uh, death angel is getting ready to come through the land of Egypt, and he's going to kill all of the firstborns of the houses that do not have the blood over the doorpost. And this is uh, uh, something that I want us to understand tonight, that the blood of this animal had to be spilt and had to be placed on the doorposts of the house. But understand tonight that the blood of the lamb, of those lambs, and the blood of those goats were not what saved the child that was inside the house. What saved the child inside the house was the family trusting that the picture that is used of this lamb's blood on the doorpost was a sign and an illustration and an expression of their trust in the lamb that would one day come and once for all cleanse the sins of man. It wasn't the lamb itself, but it was the faith in the process of taking that blood. Let's, let's, let me illustrate this way. Let's suppose that we're back in that time and this is the instruction we've received. We go to our home tonight and we say, boy, I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I mean, just blood on my door, that's all that's going to keep the death angel out? I mean, I can, I can build a strong wall of brick and, and mortar and I can do all of this stuff to really build this thing up great. And we build up this big, strong wall because we don't trust what God said. Do you see what I'm talking about here? There was nothing redeeming in the blood of that animal. In fact, Hebrews tells us that. The blood of calves and goats could never save man. But it's what that blood represented. It was that family saying, we believe that there's coming a day when a lamb is going to be slain from the foundation of the earth and his blood is enough. And so for me to show my faith, for me to trust what God said, I'm going to take the blood of this animal and the hyssop and I'm going to sprinkle it on the doorposts of the house. They could have believed it all day long. But until they sprinkled that blood, they did not act in faith. We would use the word trust. Miss Evelyn? Yes. Obedience. And, and, and obedience is an act of faith. Because you think about this, uh, the idea being that it's our faith that saves us. It's not works. When we talk about the prayer that we talked about at the beginning, the prayer is an outward expression. It's, it's the moment of our faith being presented. Uh, we're going to get to this deeper next week, but look real quick at, at Romans 13 with me. Uh, it was Romans 10, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 10. Pardon me? Verse 13, yes. Because here's where we usually end our salvation, our plan of salvation with people. We usually go through Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, maybe verse 11, and then we usually jump to verse 13. We get to verse number 13, and it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse number 9, verse number 10, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. I'm not against the prayer. But notice we stop at verse 13, and this is our problem many times. Look what it says in verse number 14. How then shall they call? Now, what do they have to do to be saved according to verse 13? They have to call. How then shall they call on him? Do you see it? How shall they call on him whom they, what? Whom they have not believed. The belief has to come first. I, I, 
can I draw this parallel? And, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. I believe that the sprinkling of that doorpost was the same as what we do in the New Testament of calling. It was that outward act of the belief in what God had told them to do. I'm not going to split hairs over it because I don't have enough to spare. But understand that it is by faith. If someone doesn't understand, and we, we plow through the Romans road, we get to Romans ten thirteen, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, what you need to do, you need to pray and ask Jesus to save you. Would you like to do that tonight? Yes, I would. All right, just uh, you can pray to yourself, or, or would you like me to say a prayer, and you can just repeat it, just mean it in your heart to the Lord. And they usually say, well, would you pray, and then I'll just repeat it. We shake their hands, thank you. God bless you. We're thankful. that We're, we're glad that you're saved, and we walk away. And they many times are thinking, boy, that was, a, that was a great prayer. It saved me. That prayer saved me. What I did, we need to get away from that. Because none of this is about what that person does. It's all about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. And they need to get to the place where they say, not only do I believe it, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to say, that is, that's what he did for me. I'm going to take all of my hope of eternal life and I'm going to lay it all on him. I'm going to take all of my expectation. I'm going to take all of my, uh, uh, if I have any hope of being saved, it all rests on him. Do, do we see where we're going with this? And it's important, it's important that we take the time, we go through the process of explaining these things to people. All right? I know Miss Evelyn had something to say before we move to the third section, because I'm just going to give you the third section verses. Uh, was there anything else in that area you wanted to say or thought of? Now would be a good time to bring it up. Okay? Hopefully I've not confused some folks there, but I think and I'm, I, I fear, I fear so much that we give lost people, and it bothers me because I know in my past I've done it as well, we've given lost people false hope. We've led them to believe that if they will just say this magical prayer, No different than the Muslims. If you'll just say this, you'll be saved. Miss Kim? And, and that's not that we want to exegete. We, we don't want to exegete the seven dispensations of the church age to seven-year-olds. But, folks, can I tell you this? When dealing with young people, we have got to be careful. They need to understand salvation. I've had people I've had people in our own churches our kind of churches that say something like oh I repeat the Lord's prayer all the, or I repeat the sinner's prayer all the time 
there are televangelists that have their congregations quoted every service. There's, there's no substance to that. They don't know what they're doing. If they understood what they were doing, they'd realize it was once for all. They don't need to continue to do this. Miss Evelyn? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Yeah. And that's why I said we got to be so careful with young people. They've got to understand it uh, just like an adult does. Now, they again, you don't have to go into all of the extensive doctrines and the meat of the word on the first time you talk to the young person about it, but they must understand salvation to be saved. And so we've got to be careful with this. All right. Hebrews chapter 9. And um, I may have to give you homework of uh, sharing the plan of salvation with someone this week. We may see how we do here. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, the third area we need to deal with is we want them to understand, because uh, the Bible is very clear on this, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. They need to understand that God's blood covers, and this is critical because there are people still that I, I in fact, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago-ish, might have been a little bit over or a little bit under that, I was talking with someone, and about past, present, future sins and thinking that their sins were saved up until the day they got saved but that they still needed to be forgiven for sins beyond that and uh, trying to express that to them. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers all of it as far as my salvation is concerned. Now, as a child of his, my relationship with him as a father and a son is severely hindered if I continue in sin. In fact, Romans 6 talks about, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because chapter 5 said, for sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And some people were getting the idea, we need to sin more so we can get more of God's grace. That was going around in that day. And Paul said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so it doesn't give us license to sin. It gives us victory over sin. And that makes a difference. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12. But this man, after he had once offered once a sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Look closely at it with me. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, what's the next two words there? Forever, or one might be one in your Bible. Mine skips the line there, so I don't know if it's hyphenated or forever. So his sacrifice is forever. It's not something that you have to do over and over and over and over again. All right, look with me again, verse number 22. Same chapter. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, and so again, the sprinkling of the blood, again, you don't have to go into the whole temple and tabernacle thing. Yes, sir, Brother Harold? Pardon me? Hebrews 9? Oh, I'm reading 10. I was, no, I was thinking, man, those didn't sound right. <laughs> so I had the page turned. There we go. That looks a lot better to me. I was like, man, that didn't sound right. I thought, and in fact, I was going to, I'm making a note of that to go back and see if I had the wrong uh, reference. Okay, look at verse 12 again. Let's back up. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. There we go. Okay, so by his own blood. Verse uh, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is... No remission. Okay? So very important. 
<laughs> Thank you, Brother Harold. I, I was sitting there thinking, man, that just didn't sound right. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. And verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1 and verse number 7. Ephesians 1 and verse number 7. Okay. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14. So again, there's plenty of verses on these. You'll, you'll find some. Uh, again, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews 13, I'll try to get the right chapter this time. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. So in this ties hand in hand with his sacrifice. The people understand that he shed his blood in our place and that that blood is the sacrifice that was acceptable for the justice that God the Father had to have over sin. He demands justice because He's a holy God. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only blood that was worthy to be a covering to, to pay the justification for our sins. All right, First Peter chapter 1. So again, we're not to be accepting... The sacrifice, that was up to God to do. And he did that back when the Lord Jesus Christ went and took his own blood and sprinkled it in the Holy of Holies in heaven. The Lord, God the Father accepted that as payment for sin. It is up to us then to trust that, to place our trust in him. And by the way, you cannot justify the term trusting or faith with works. They're contrary to the other. If I'm trusting God, yet I'm trying to work in addition to, then I'm not trusting God, am I? I'm only working. If, if I have absolute faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I cannot believe in works, salvation. Alright, Hebrews, or 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. All right. Whoops. I'm sorry. Say that one more time. I was just trying to get through my notes here, make sure that was it. So that should be it. Okay, can everybody get all those? I'll leave it up here if you need to come up after the thing here. We are at 10 minutes, uh, about 8 minutes after 8. Don't know that we have time to pair off tonight. Here's what I would like to say about that. If you would like, we're going to go ahead and pray. And if you need to leave, that's fine. But I would like it if some of you would be willing to stick around and maybe take some time to uh, go through a plan of salvation with one another, get used to saying it, just pair off in in a team. If you're able to, if you're not able to, find some time this week. In fact, I think I gave you some homework on the back of the sheet there. Uh, continue to compile your prospect list. Read over your notes from the week. Write references in your Bibles to help you find them. Study and work on memorizing uh, these verses. Uh, and say them out loud in, the, uh, in front of a mirror. That is important. And or to a family member. Preferably to a family member. The more you say it with somebody you're comfortable with, the easier it's going to be saying it to somebody that you just met. And so I know it's somewhat embarrassing sometimes when you feel kind of awkward, like, oh, we know each other, we know they're already saved. This is the place where it's safe for us to share these things, and if we're going to mess up, this is the place we want to mess up uh, so that we get better, sharpening the axe. Uh, This isn't in your notes at all, but I do want to show you one other verse real quick that might encourage you a little bit. Uh, Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 10. I I didn't even plan on doing this one, but 
uh, let's do this. And this is not uh, on the plan of salvation as much as it is to try to help us work at this. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. I was in um, my junior year of college after five years. Five years and I was a junior. Yes, I crammed five, uh, four years into six. So uh, five years I was a junior, and I was frustrated. I had wasted the, a lot of time in the first two years becoming a junior, and I was frustrated. I was ready to quit. I was ready to get out in the ministry. I thought, man, people are dying and going to hell, and here I am stuck in Bible college, and I could be out there winning people to Christ. I could be doing stuff. And uh, I, I got up early one morning. I had a 7 o'clock class, and I went into class, and the teacher, the professor, always had devotions with us at 7 o'clock in the morning. And one of the mornings, he brought this verse, and I had been really struggling. I almost was ready to quit college and just go home and start serving. And he brought this verse, and it caused me to stay and finish the course. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Look with me, if you will. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge. You men know what it is to wet the edge, right? W-H-E-T. you got a wet stone sharpening your knife, sharpening your axe. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. And man, the, the light bulb turned on, and I thought, that's it. I'm staying till I'm done because time spent sharpening the axe is never wasted. Time spent sharpening the axe is never wasted. It's a lot of material. And to some of us, it's either new or it's rusty. <laughs> uh, what we want to do is sharpen it, polish it up, and then put it to good use. All right? Are you with me? We're going to do it. We're going to commit to it. It's a lot of material in it, but it's good. And it will help us as we talk to people about the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We're thankful for the tools that you have equipped us with, you've left us with to be able to accomplish. Lord, you've not commanded us to do something and then not given us the resources to be able to do it. But you have easily made these things available. And Lord, to my embarrassment and I believe many times in Christian circles, to the embarrassment of a lot of folks, we don't make the good use of the tools that you've given to us. And I pray that you would help us to recommit ourselves to the study of them, to being tested and tried in them. And Lord, that uh, we would not be unfamiliar with handling the Scripture and the Word, and being able to share it with others. Dismiss us with your blessings. And Lord, this week I pray that you'll help us as we uh, think and meditate on these things and as we study uh, to get some practice in and be able to um, become more comfortable in the use of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.